The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We submitted to you all, uh, what questions do you have that you would like answered from the Bible? And so a few of you, lots of you, uh, put through a whole range of questions uh, that you would like answered from the Scriptures. And so we've tried to compile these questions basically into the four this year and four next year. So this year we're going to do sort of more broader categories. Uh, and next year we're going to get into the more specific questions that came in that are uh, probably a little bit more, need a bit more time, a little, little bit more, you know, stuff around sexuality, abortion, etc., etc. So uh, this part of the, the series, we're going to look at four broad categories. And so today we're going to start on the topic of worship. So lots of questions came in around what is worship? What is corporate worship? What should we expect to experience at worship? And so what we want to do is we want to kind of teach from the Bible what we think worship is and how it plays a role in the life of our church. Are you with me? So today I have a number of scripture verses and also a number of quotes because some people can say things in ways that are really, really helpful for us to understand. Um, so I want to start with a quote by uh, Tim Keller who defines what worship is. Tim Keller says this, he says, Worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to God in a way that engages and energizes your whole person. He's speaking of the, the mind, the heart, the will, and transforms your whole life. So it's ascribing worth in such a way that it involves our whole person. And it also, as we engage in worship, God actually meets us in that place and starts to shift and transform our life. Ligon Duncan says, think of it this way. Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition I can give is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. That's why worship is that thing we all do. It's what we're all on about any given day. Worship is saying this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. It's a thing of the highest value in my life. That thing might be a relationship. It might be a dream. It might be a position. It might be a status. It might be something that you own, a job, some kind of pleasure. Whatever name you put on it, this thing is what you've concluded in your heart is worth most to you. And whatever is worth most to you is what you worship. Worship, therefore, in essence, is declaring what we value most. As a result, worship fuels our actions, becoming the driving force of all we do. Everybody has an altar, and every altar has a throne. So how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow your trail of your time, the trail of your affections, the trail of your energy, the trail of your money, the trail of your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you'll find the throne. And whatever is on that throne is what you worship. So Ligon Duncan is basically trying to say to us, we are all created as people, human beings, as worshippers. Everybody is worshipping all the time. The question is, who, what are we worshipping? How are we worshipping? And so it's this sense of ascribing worth. And we saw that in Psalm 95. It's this idea of coming and ascribing worth. But it's also, Psalm 95 also shows us that it's engaging the whole person. In verse 1 to 2, it talks about making a joyful noise of praise. Kneeling bowing before God is in verses 5. Uh, it's the act of listening to God's word in 7 to 8 and responding to God's word. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says it this way. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable 
spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see there that even in that act of worship, the, the, the word there, bodies, is not talking communal, plural people. It's talking your faculties. Present your mind, present your heart, present your emotions. And in there, it's affecting the will. It's changing how we see and how we live. And this is really important for us, for those of us who are Christians, because we live in a world where everything we have, everything we do, everything we experience is trying to go for our affections. It's, it's calling us to, to worship. The culture we live in is constantly vying for the affections of our heart. Love this, desire this. If you have this, then you'll feel this. That's the cultural message. The culture we live in is constantly seeking to instruct our minds. Think this way. Have these values. Believe this story. The culture we live in is trying to mold our wills. Do this. Act like this. Live here. Buy this. Live this way. And so what, what worship is, is worship is a reorientation of all that back to God and going, no, no, no. I hear what you're saying, culture, but that is not the ultimate value and worth. And I don't listen to that story. It's not necessarily that it's all wrong but it is filtered through the lens of worshipping God. Tim Keller uses a good example of how this uh, happens. So he, he tells a story, like imagine if there's this woman, her grandmother has passed and so she's inherited this piece of jewellery. And so she puts it in her room along with all the other bits of jewellery and it sits there and years go by where she sees it, but she never really puts it on. It's like she appreciates it, it's from her grandma. And then one day, you know, she's, she's selling her house and she's moving out and she's trying to declutter. And so she, she takes this bit of jewelry and she's like, I might as well just go see what it's worth. And so she goes to a jeweler. The jeweler then gets out, you know, his little, whatever you call it, the little lensy thing. Someone knows the, the technical word for that. Probably should have read Keller's illustration a bit better. Uh, he gets out the little magnifying glass. He, he looks at this, at this piece of jewelry and then he looks at her. And he looks back and then he looks at her. He's like, give me a second. He goes and gets another stronger magnifying glass. He looks at it and he, he, he then is like looking at her and like his face is, his disposition is certainly changing as he's looking at this piece of jewelry. And then he goes and gets another jeweler and says, hey, you need to come and see this piece of jewelry. And then they look at the jewelry together and all of a sudden they're like, okay. And she can tell something is going on with this piece of jewelry. So they go to Google and they start searching on Google and then all of a sudden, all the jewelers are coming and they're all looking at this one piece of jewelry. All the other customers are getting ignored because they have seen that this piece of jewelry is priceless. It's an old piece of jewelry that got lost in years and years and years ago. And this thing that, that she has brought to them is worth more than everything they've ever had in their store or ever sold before put together. The example that Tim Keller is saying, you see something happens with the jeweler as he sees the value and the worth of what is in front of him. It moves them. It, it, there's a disposition that says something is different here because I've encountered priceless magnificence and beauty. And the value and worth of this has some form of effect on their lives. And so this is what Christian worship should be like. Is You and I, for those of us who are Christians, as we look at God, and we see who he really is, it should move us. It should affect us. It should change us in ways that are noticeable. So we've kind of got like these two things. We've got general worship and then we've got like specific worship, right? 
So the Bible, uh, Jonah 1.9 says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This is generic worship. This is worship in general. This is Jonah saying, I worship God. But then we also th- see throughout Scripture, there's specific worship. Psalm 102 says, Worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs. And it's speaking of when the Christians, the church, gather to worship, to come and sing to God. And so there are kind of like there's the generic worship, which is what everybody who is a Christian, we participate in all the time. And then there's corporate worship, which is what we're participating in right now. This is when we come together and we sing corporate songs or we listen to the Word of God together. And so the difference between generic worship and corporate worship is just that it's together. It's not you on your own in your house. It's not you on your own on your way to work. This is a very specific thing that we see throughout Scripture God continually is calling His people to do. Keep coming every single week. Keep coming every single week. Set aside of the day week to come and worship God. Why? One, because he's worth it. The beach is not worth it. It's not worth it. The sleeping's not worth it. He's worth it. So we sacrifice. We give up time. We see people driving their four-wheel drives and go off for the weekend. And and we go, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to come on a Sunday and gather with God's people because he's worth it. But also because it's good for you and I. The, The beauty of coming together week in, week out is we constantly go back into culture get filtered and filled with all of the messages and all of the stories and all of the untruths. And then we come back and we hear again, no, this is the truth. This is who God is. This is why he's worth it. This is the body of believers. Amen? And so God keeps calling us and say, come together. And so we saw this in Psalm 95. said, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. He is our God. Notice all the language that is communal. What is the first word of prayer that Jesus teaches his disciple? Our Father. Not your Father, not my Father. Our Father. There is something about being together as God's people. So this is why it matters that you're here. This is why it matters that you attend on a Sunday. Um, It's not just so that we can tick and go, oh, that many people were there. No, it's that your worship, your participation affects me. And mine affects you. And sometimes you, you, you see someone else singing and you're like, oh, wow, that's lovely. I mean, other times we're like, oh, wow, they should probably not sing so loud. That's really bad. Uh, God did not give them the gift. Love their heart. <laughs> But the sense we see each other, we, we meet each other. This is what we saw the last, uh, in, when we looked at being spirit-filled last week. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5.18-19, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's so important that we gather together. What happens when we meet together is something in someone draws something else out of that person. So if you're in a dating relationship, one of the most important things you can do is explore the relationship with that person in multiple different 
groups of people. See what they act like in front of their friends. See what they act like at church. See what they act like in their family situation. See what they act like at work. And as you explore all the avenues, what you see is the whole person. If all you ever do is like you and that person date and you go on little one-on-one dates, you're actually not going to get to see the whole person because elements of their mum and dad and their brothers and sisters draw something out of them that you would never have seen unless they were with them. People at work draw things out of them that, that you would never do that. Do you, do you see what I mean? So it's a sense of we're actually better together because different people interacting in different ways, we're seeing more of what God is doing in each other. So let me give you three things that I think that we are seeking to do as a church in the corporate uh, Sunday. You'll see all of these in Psalm 95. The first thing that we're seeking to do is please God together. We gather to worship God in a way that he prescribes and he is pleased. In the, in the church, there is a debate between are Sundays for the Christian, for the insider, or are Sundays for the non-Christian, the outsider, and we'd say neither. Sundays are actually first and foremost for God. He's the target audience, not the Christian or the non-Christian, not the believer or not the believer. It actually starts with, it's God who's called people to come and worship him. So... Even our mindset around church, I think, needs to shift. It's like, first and foremost, this is not about me and you. It's first and foremost about God. Who is God? What has he told us to do? How do we come to him in a way which pleases him? You see this in the beginning of the Bible with Cain and Abel, two brothers bringing offerings to God. One is acceptable. One is not acceptable. The, the scripture doesn't actually tell us why. Okay, we can make assumptions as to what it is. But what we do know is there seems to be some things that God says, pleasing Acceptable, not acceptable. And so God says, no, that, that's no longer worship of me. That's worship of something else. And so we want to start with coming to the Lord. So look at Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our station. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And you see this all throughout the Bible, that God's people... They, they come and do things, and at times God says, not okay. Read the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is not acceptable. <laughs> if, you, if you're married, you've got some inkling into what this looks like. If you've been married for a while, you know that there are ways in which you can seek to love your other half, your spouse, in which they go, not acceptable. I don't, that, that, that's not received well as love. And over the years, you kind of learn, oh, this is, this is what love is to you. This is, this is how it kind of meets that standard of like, that feels loving. Because it's really easy. I could say, hey, babe, you know, I'm really looking for this, forward to this afternoon. I'm going to love you by napping. And that is my way of just telling you how, like, I just think you're so competent that you don't need me. You know what I mean? Like, there's ways you can do things. It's like, no. No, she would say, no, you nap because you hate me. And so there's a sense in which we have to ask, well, what is God, what is God asking? What is God saying he wants? And we want to do that. And so there's three questions that we are often asking here. Number one is, what is lawful? Like, what does the scripture say we are to do? And we want to make sure that we, we do those things. Uh, some churches... I don't know if you've heard of this term, but they would hold to what is known as the regulative principle. Okay, the regulative principle is we are only going to do what the Scripture tells us to do. 
If it doesn't say to do it, we don't do it. So they're going for what is lawful. And so the Bible says we should open up the book and read from the book. We should pray. We should sing songs. And so they're going to do all of those things. And we would say we want, like we want to recognize that the Scriptures are driving it. But also there's, there's probably another, another tier that we would say is also important, which is not just what is lawful, what has God said we must do, but also what is permissible. So we as a church would fall under what is known as the normative principle, which is we want to let the Bible tell us what to do, but we're also not going to only do what it says to do. If it doesn't forbid it, we think it's okay. So for example, a regulative principle church wouldn't do dance in church. We would say we think it's okay. You know, If someone wanted to come up here and do a dance, we would say that that's okay. That's, it's, the Bible hasn't forbidden dance. We see people like David dancing. We see people in the Old Testament dancing. Next question for us would be, is that helpful? And we'd ask that question. And depends on the dancer. <laughs> if it's me, you probably don't want to see none of that. It's like not helping you give glory to God, right? Same with singing. Same with, so there, there are things that we'd say, the Bible doesn't say you have to do them, but the Bible also doesn't say that you can't do them. So we could have someone come up and read a poem that we think is edifying and helpful. Someone might come up and give a testimony. We might do a panel. There might be things that we do that aren't necessarily lawful in the sense that God is saying, make sure you do this, but it's also not something that the Bible has said, don't do this. And so we would see that and there's room in there. So we would say what is lawful, what is permissible, and then what is helpful. Because you can do some things, like we could get someone to lead worship who cannot sing. And it would be really unhelpful because most of us would no longer glorify God. We would ask God, why God? Right? So for us, we, we don't hold to that regulative principle in that way. But we do want Scripture to be driving us and leading us towards what is glorifying to Him and pleasing to Him. So we want to keep asking that question. So this for you sometimes means there are things that happen in here that maybe aren't to your taste and your liking. That's okay, because this isn't primarily, firstly, about us. This is about God. So we want to start there. And hopefully, we can get what glorifies God and edifies the church together, and they marry well. But sometimes that may not be the case. There might be styles of music that you don't like. There might be preaching that you don't like. You know, you heard my daughter say how much she loves Shane's preaching, not my preaching. Okay, there are different tastes and different flavors. Um, That's all okay, because we're a diverse group of people. Right. Second thing is not only is it going to be pleasing God, it's revealing God together. In other words, we gather to marvel at who God is. It's an awe-filled response to the revelation of God. If you go through that psalm, notice all the fours and the twos. Why do we worship? Verse 3, for the Lord is a great God. Why do we make a joyful noise? We're doing it to the rock of our salvation. O come, verse 6, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for He is our God. And how does the psalmist know that this is our God? Because he knows the word. The psalmist is writing this knowing his Old Testament history is going, yes, God is the maker of all things, including me. He's the creator. How does he know that? He doesn't know that subjectively. He knows that objectively because he's been sitting in church 
week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out, hearing about the maker, hearing about the shepherd, hearing about the king. So, so the scriptures have to be central to the corporate worship of God because that is where we see and learn about who God is. And so in corporate worship, the worship is preached. The worship In the worship service, the word is read. In the worship service, the word is sung. Truths about the gospel, we sing them. And we have these things on our lips. Jesus, in John 4, bumps into a Samaritan woman at the well and they're having this discussion around worship. And she has some preconceived ideas of where worship should happen, who should be worshipped, what does this look like? And Jesus says to her, in verse 23, But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So if there's true worshippers, that automatically tells us that there are what? False worshippers. That's really important to know. There's true worship and there's false worship. And what distinguishes that? Jesus says two things. Truth, spirit. So the truth really matters. Because what we attempted to do, you see this in Ten Commandments, we attempted to create an image of God that we ourselves like and we'll worship that being. And God's like, but that's not me. That, I never said that that's who I am. So you're, you're worshipping, you're going towards and ascribing like value to, to this being that doesn't exist. That's not me. So this is why we need this, because in here we see all of God, right? This is why we want to preach through books of the Bible where we can, because we're seeing elements of God that, that maybe if we just sit in John 3.16, we never see, right? There, there are elements of God in here which sometimes I find harder to accept, but they're true. God is a judge, and he will judge the living and the dead. We need to know that because that affects how we go to him. God is a father. God is a God of justice. There, there are so many aspects of the Bible which tell us about God. And so in this case, with this woman, worship for her is, is out of ignorance. She doesn't know the truth. So we must have the truth. And we must continually wrestle with the truth. And so for us to truly be a worshipping church, we need to preach the truth. We need to share the truth and we need to sing the truth. So for us, that means the songs that we sing matter because we can sing songs that don't sing truth. There's lots of songs that I love that are secular that I'd love to sing here, but they're not true. Right? They, got a, they got a good beat to them. That's where my dance comes on, people. Okay. So what do we do in the instance where a, sung, a song is sung in church that, that maybe doesn't quite ascribe to truth that we believe? You know, whether that's at a conference or whether that's even here. Sometimes we've had songs that we've sung here and people are like, I'm not sure about that song. What do we do in that case? Okay, I want to give you a couple of things I think would just be practically helpful. Number one, I think as much as you can, be charitable with the interpretation of the song. Okay, I'll give you an example. Okay, Reckless Love. Hands up if you know Reckless Love. Hands up. Okay, Reckless Love. If you read the lyrics to Reckless Love, every single bit of lyric is wonderful, except for one word, Reckless. 
If you hear the way that the author intended that word to me to, to be to be written, he, he wasn't writing it in a way which meant like it's it's this recklessness in the way that God loves. He means it's like overwhelming. It's like it's phenomenal. It's just over the top. And so he's used a word which, depending on how you interpret it, affects how you would sing that song. So we would say in our church, we think that song's actually okay because the intent of the word reckless is not in the in the normal English language how we would normally use it. That was the intent of the author. But because it's a little bit complicated, we've kind of gone, oh, it's probably not helpful though. It's probably lawful, maybe not helpful. So for me, in my, in my home, if reckless love comes on, I'm singing it. Because the words and the story and what the, the whole song is talking about is the fact that I was lost and he's come and helped me, right? Um, what a beautiful name. It's another song. So I've got friends who won't sing what a, what a, what a beautiful name. How many people here like what a beautiful name is? This will help me see. Okay. I was going to do it the other way, but I was like, I'm going to think he's out. Um, there's a line in What a Beautiful Name that has meant some people have said, oh, I'm not quite sure we could sing that song. That line is, you did not want heaven without us. And some people have gone, well, that's kind of making God needy, like that he needed us, needed us in heaven. And so he didn't want heaven without us. Oh, I'm not sure if I can sing that. And you're like, well, I think if we're reading that charitably, I think what he's saying is, no, God wanted us in heaven. In fact, heaven is a created place and God didn't create heaven for him. Heaven was created. It wasn't a place for God. Heaven was created for God and humanity to be together. So you did not want heaven without us. I, th I think there's a sense in which that's true. God created the heavens, created the earth so he could be with us. And so I want to read that and sing that charitably. Now, what if you can't get there? What if I'm just always a glass half full guy, which I am, and I just, oh, I think they meant well, it's fine. Then I would say, don't sing the line. Because what's more important than anything is your conscience before the Lord. So if we sing that song and you're one of those people like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I could sing that line, that is totally okay. Just don't go, I'm not singing that line. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't disrupt the unity of the spirit in the church. But I would say it's okay. You're not being disobedient to, to the church leaders if you don't sing a particular line of a song. If you have a particular song that you're like, I just don't know if that's a good song, come and talk to me. We'd love to know. And there's been people who've said, oh man, this song, I don't know about this song. And then we've had a conversation. I've been able to sort of say, I think this is what we're singing. Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. I can sing that. And others are like, eh, I'm not sure. It's like, okay, don't engage in that particular song. But do it in a way which still puts the glory of God and the edification of the church as primary. Does that make sense? But we don't want you to go against your conscience either. So you don't have to join in something that you don't feel like you can. Does that make sense? And so we want to be singing truth. We want to be thinking about the truth. And as a church, we're going to sometimes go, hey, we think that song's okay, but we think it's unhelpful because of the particular word that's used. It's like, eh, I think that doesn't help us all to sing. Number three is we're experiencing God. This is a sense that we gather to grow a deep and true sense of God's person and presence, engaging God with our whole beings and being transformed by His grace. When you see the church coming together, when you see God telling the church to come, they're saying, come to Him. Come to Him. Meet with Him. So we would say, we, we believe that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. Okay, We see this all throughout the Psalms, um, that God is at all places, at all times. But there is also this other sense in which God is near. 
God is close. God is present. And so this passage says, But the hour has come, and now is here when the true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and truth. And so the idea here is that we worship in spirit. And notice it says, But God is spirit. That is, God is immaterial. This is not about a physical thing. This is deeper than a physical thing. Yes, we use our physical lips. Yes, we use our physical mouths. Yes, we use maybe our physical arms. But it's deeper. It's got to go to the heart. It's got to go to the immaterial part of our lives. Truth and spirit where we are meeting with God in our hearts. John Piper says, Together the words spirit and truth mean that real worship comes from the spirit within and is based on true views of God. Worship must have a heart, worship uh, must have a heart, and worship must have a head. Worship must engage your emotions, and worship must engage your thought. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual fighters. Emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. We need both. And so for, for my journey of faith, the more I get to know God, the deeper I go theologically, the more He moves my heart. The more I understand the depths of His grace, the more I move and am grateful for the fact that God saved a sinner and a wretch like me. The more I understand the depths of His love, it's like, why would He love me? And it moves us emotionally and so we don't want to be people like the Old Testament where God kept saying did you sing to me with your lips but your heart is so far from me you're just going through the motions of just singing songs but there's no connection in the heart and now in Psalm 95 there's no mention of worshipping in spirit but it, it does tell us that the purpose of worship is to come into the presence and meet with God so a question that came up was like, well, how are we, uh, how are we expected to, to experience God, if at all? What does that look like? And so Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make bed in, in Sheol, you are there. The idea, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But also Psalm 51, cast me not away from your presence. Or Isaiah 64, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. When you did an awesome thing that, you, uh, that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. If you read the book of Acts, there's a, sometimes there are these moments where the Holy Spirit comes and He's present in a way. And Tim Keller, I think, explains it well. He says, yes, God's presence is everywhere, but by the mediation of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will make you aware of God's very presence. You will sense His reality. Present in his power or present in his grace or present in his love or present in his majesty. That's your expectation and your goal to sense and come into the presence and know his presence. Have you experienced God in that way where just his love overwhelms you? Where his grace and favor overwhelms you? Or maybe for me, sometimes it's been my sin overwhelms me as the spirit comes and convicts me of sin and then says, hey, turn back to God. This is what is possible in the worship experience, that you can experience God. And this is not just for extroverts like me who are like touchy-feelies. Right? 
Um, there is a degree to which we will express things different. We might feel it at a different degree or whatever. But God is calling all of us to come into his presence and to sing to him and encounter him and meet him. And that should come and move us. And so I love when you read the Psalms. There is so much language of emotion in the Psalms. You'll see words of affection You'll see emotions of joy and sorrow and reverence and contrition and hope and fear and adoration and thankfulness. And so church, we, we want to be a church that holds up the Bible and says, this is the truth about God. We want to do that in our whole service, from singing to preaching to reading to praying. But we also want to say, hey, but that truth should move our hearts in a way that says, man, I love Jesus. And listen, we, we often will ask some of our leaders, when was the last time you were moved to tears? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you sat there and you thought about how much God loved you and it shook you? And I want that more often than I want it not. As I think about Jesus, I want it to move me emotionally with joy, with tears of gratefulness. And so to what degree should someone experience the presence of God? I don't know. I would say... That's up to the Spirit to do that part of His work. We, we can't force that. So we're not a church that, that is going to come up and try and force that to happen. Uh, we're not going to try and cre- recreate upper room experiences. We're not going to do that. We're going to trust that God the Holy Spirit will do that, but we are going to ask Him to do it. We're going to say, God, come and move. Come and be present with us. God, help us. Grow us in love. Grow us in grace. Let us sense that you are here. Has anyone here been through a really, really rough time and you've asked people to pray and God has prayed and you've experienced his peace? I have heard so many stories of like, I just felt like the church was praying for me and I could tangibly sense that. I want to pray that everybody in this room has experiences like that where you know God is moving and you are meeting with him. And so what is worship? Worship is this sense in which we are giving ultimate worth, ultimate value to God with our whole being, thinking with our minds about God, thinking with our hearts and our emotions and our bodies. So we sing. Some of us lift our hands. Some of us don't. Some of us might clap. Some of us don't. But we're using all of us to worship God. And then he is meeting us and he is transforming us. And church, we are about to engage in communion and singing. And I want to just lift up your expectation. God is here. God wants to meet you right now, wherever you're at. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on with you. But here's what I know. He is amazing. And if you come to him with your whole being, and his grace will come to you. God is present here with us. Amen. And we expect that God can do things. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to the band. They're going to lead us. And I just want you to lift up your voices, lift up your hearts. Let it go to God. And let's be a church that worships God in spirit and truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au.
We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 